So what is forgiveness? If uh, you don't know, I'm a bit of a word nerd. So anytime I'm studying anything, I like to look at the words that are used. Uh, sometimes there are many different words that are translated into the same English word, but they have some deeper meanings, some, um, different meanings. And so I really like to study the different words that are used. I, I feel like God's word is very intentional, and the fact that he chooses very specific words uh, in Scripture, and there's just revelation there. And so I want to look at a few of them, uh, because there are several that are translated as forgive, forgiveness, or pardon. And so let's quickly look at a few Hebrew words. Uh, one of those words is nasa, and it means to take, to take away, to carry off, to forgive, to be taken away, be carried off, be swept away. Um, nasa is found in Numbers 14:18. It says, "The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, nasa, forgiving iniquity and transgression." Another Hebrew word. Um, that's translated as forgive is salak. And that word means to forgive or to pardon. And salak is found in Psalms 25.11. It's for your name's sake, O Lord, salak, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. These Hebrew words were generally used in the context of God's forgiveness of us. He took away our sin. He carried it off. He pardoned us and he forgave us. And then there's some Greek words. One of them is haridzamai, and that means to show oneself gracious, to be kind and benevolent, to grant forgiveness and to pardon. Haridzamai is found in Colossians 2.13. It says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, with him having haridzamai forgiven us all our transgressions. Another word is apaluo. It means to set free, to let go, to dismiss, to let go free, to release. And apaluo is found in Luke 6.37. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Apaluo, pardon, and you will be apaluoed, pardoned. In the ESV, it says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Give, you will be forgiven. There are a few other variants of these words, but there's one last one that I want to share, and that's a fi ami. It means to let go, to let alone, to let be, to let go, to give up a debt, to forgive, to remit, to give up, to keep no longer. And this one is found in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and afiami, forgive us our debts as we also have afiamid, forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The New Living Translation says, Forgive us our sins, as we have also been forgiven those who sin against us. So Matthew 6, 12 in the New Living. And forgive us our sins, 
as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, I feel the NASB is a more accurate translation given the word that was used, but it is speaking metaphorically about sin. The word used here for debt or sin is a philame. Its primary definition is that which is owed, that which is legally or justly due. But the word is also used as a metaphor for sin. So guys, this is forgiveness. There are many different words, but there's a common theme. We're to take away, pardon, set free, let go, dismiss, set at liberty. We release us and we forgive. We set them at liberty and we set them free. And we receive freedom in return. Freedom in our souls and forgiveness are connected. Forgiveness is about freedom. In Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. When we sin against God, our wages, what is owed to us, what is justly due, is death. When we sin against each other, what is justly due isn't forgiveness. What we are owed is not release or freedom. But that's what God gives us. That's what he gives us. And that's what he asks us to give to others. It's not something that's owed to us. Forgiveness is a gift from God. It's what he gives us in place of what we are owed and what we are to give others when they sin against us and hurt us. These Greek words that I shared speak of God forgiving us, but as in the Lord's Prayer, it speaks of forgiving each other. That is what God asks of us and what we need to do if we want to keep the suitcase of our soul tidy and free of junk. Now that was a lot of just looking at words. So if I've in any way lulled you to sleep or bored you, you'll have to afia me, me. As I said, I am a bit of a word nerd. I think there's so much power in God's word and in our words as well. God is so intentional and his word is so intentional. He spoke the world into existence. Word says that the power of life and death is contained in our tongues, in the words that we speak. And in doing the word nerd thing that I do, I feel like God showed me something really cool. There's a word that we often use as Christians. And it turns out it's not even really a word at all. And that word is unforgiveness. If you can bring up that picture. This is just a picture of my notes. It's kind of hard to see at the bottom there, but notice the little red squiggly lines there. It's not because it's spelled wrong. That's usually what it's telling you. It's simply that it's not a word. I thought maybe I'd spelled it wrong, but no. The more I dug into it, I found it's, it's not a word. Because, see, guys, you can un a lot of things. You can undo. You can unmake. You can unwind. You can unroll. You can unstitch. There's no squiggles on any of those words. But unforgiveness isn't a thing. Forgiveness is meant to be a one-way thing. We are forgiven, and we are to forgive. No take-backs, no uns. Guys, God is so intentional in everything he does. And I think that this isn't a word because he doesn't want it to be in our vocabulary. It's not something we should even consider as a thing. It's not a word. So let's strike the word and even the thought of, of unforgiveness from our hearts and from our vocabulary. No uns with forgiveness. 
So in addition to being a word nerd, I am just a nerd nerd too. So here's this for you. Forgive or forgive not. There is no unforgiveness. The wise words of Yoda. The squiggles were there, but when I saved it, they went away. I don't know why, but you get the idea. Guys, forgiveness is a choice. It is. We forgive or we don't. So why do we have such a hard time making that choice? That choice to forgive. Maybe we have wounds that have not received healing. We get hurt again while we're already in that wounded state in need of healing and just in that state, we just don't respond as we would want us to and as we should. Maybe it's an issue of control. If we let go of hurt and forgive someone, we don't have control over the situation. We've released it to the Lord. Maybe we're losing that battle against our flesh that Mark spoke about a few weeks ago. I think those are some of the reasons, but I think also... Sometimes we just don't understand what forgiveness is. We looked at the word meanings, and we can grab a hold of that. We just don't grab a hold of it in our hearts. We see forgiveness as something it's not. And this happened with the disciples, too. When Jesus was talking to them about, about forgiveness, he, they used it with him as an issue of faith. Let's look at Luke 17, 1-4. He said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The disciples heard this and were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, mm-mm. We can't do that. So they replied to him in Luke 17:5, said to the Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith to do that. But is it really a matter of faith? We'll see how Jesus responded in Luke 17, 6 through 10. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave as he did the things which he were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Jesus makes it clear that it's not a matter of faith. If we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could uproot a mulberry tree and toss it in the sea. It, it would do that. Jesus uses another example like this in Matthew 17 and says we could move mountains even with faith that small. What he's telling them is that forgiveness is not a matter of faith. It's a matter of obedience. We have all we need to forgive. We just have to make that choice. Guys, sometimes we don't see forgiveness for what it is. Sometimes we see it and we understand it, but we still have a hard time making that choice. And there are reasons. Long-standing hurt, repeat offense, presence of other junk in our suitcase that we haven't dealt with yet. 
a while back, I was talking with Jesus about forgiveness. And I, he kind of told me the same kind of thing. I said, Lord, why do, we, why do we have such a hard time forgiving people? And he said, sometimes we don't understand it. And then he gave me this to describe it. He said, forgiveness is not saying that what someone has done to us so they have sinned against us is acceptable. That's not what it is. And let's stop at that one for a moment. How many times has someone hurt us and we say, oh, it's okay, no problem, I'm guilty. We have to stop saying that. It should be, your actions were not okay, and you hurt me, but I forgive you. There's power in our words, guys. We shouldn't dismiss hurt. We should intentionally forgive. I think that that first state becomes an automatic response, and it, and it feeds into the confusion of the issue. So let's work on that. Let's, let's work to acknowledge it for what it is. So that's when he gave me his forgiveness is not extending trust to someone who has sinned against us. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is agreement with God. Forgiveness is releasing our right to justice as we see it should be. Forgiveness is releasing justice to the just one. Forgiveness is accepting that Jesus died for all. Forgiveness is acknowledging that the work of the cross was enough. Enough for us and enough for everyone. I want to go through those quickly one more time. Forgiveness is not saying that what someone has done to us or how they have sinned against us is acceptable. It is not extending trust to someone who has sinned against us. It is not reconciliation. It is agreement with God it is releasing our right to justice as we see it should be. It is releasing justice to the just one, accepting that Jesus died for all, and acknowledging that the work of the cross was enough for us and for all. Sometimes we struggle with forgiveness because we think forgiveness is acceptance. It's not. We confuse forgiveness with extending trust or reconciliation. It's not. It does mean that we have to release control and trust Jesus, though. We trust him that just as he works in us, he will work in the person who hurt us. And we him with the outcome. But guys, forgiveness doesn't mean that we can't have boundaries. Jesus isn't asking us to be hurt and then be hurt again and then be hurt again and keep coming back for more. That's not his heart. Now, sometimes that does happen. And when it does, he's faithful to bring healing to it every time, if we allow him to. But he's not asking us to operate without boundaries. <clears throat> Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Uh, I don't remember if it was last message or one prior, but he used an example a few weeks back about someone hitting his wife. If someone did that, Mark would forgive them. Eventually. But that doesn't mean that he would let him let them get close to his wife again. If every time someone came to your home, they stole the money out of your kids' banks, you can forgive them, but you don't have to give them that opportunity again. You can choose not to allow them into your home. You can meet somewhere else. Healthy boundaries are good. And guys, you can forgive someone even if they don't repent. And we're commanded to do so.
Because forgiveness isn't about them. It's about us and the Lord, not the other person. We free them from our debt as God freed us from our debt of sin. No uns, no takebacks. It's one way. Forgiveness and freedom are gifts from God, gifts that we're to extend to others as well. Trust is different, though. Trust is earned. Trust is two-way. It's not one way. When trust is broken, for it to be reestablished, it requires both parties participate in that. There has to be repentance and there has to be change. Both sides have to work at this. Work to make the changes needed in the relationship and build trust. Jesus doesn't want us to live life without boundaries and put ourselves into situations where we know we're going to get hurt over and over and over again. That's not what he's asking of us. His heart is reconciliation. That's what he would like. But if both people aren't working towards that, it's okay to set boundaries and stop at forgiveness until such a time as both parties can engage. That's okay. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says this, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. The word reconciled in this passage is dialasso. I know, I'm a word nerd. But its primary definition is change. Reconciliation means change. That's its primary definition. We have to change. There has to be change for there to be reconciliation. But we only control us, right? So we have to do our part. In Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We should always do our part to be at peace, to reconcile. That's God's heart, but both sides have to change. So how do we know that we need to forgive someone? Sometimes we know, and and sometimes we don't. I I truly believe that. There's a good rule of thumb to kind of tell if if we need to, to forgive someone. Here's a few things. So when we think about them, that person, does it make you feel sick? He doesn't look very good. If you're thinking about someone and you got that face on, probably a good sign. If you see them at the grocery store, do we take evasive maneuvers and dart down different aisles to avoid them? Are we hiding in the middle of a clothing rack at the department store? I used to do that when I was a kid. It drove my parents crazy. (laughs) Fun, though. Do you intentionally grab the solicitor at Best Buy and say, yes, please tell me more about how much your vacuum sucks so that you can pretend that you didn't see it? Can you give them a genuine hug of affection? If the answer to the first four questions was yes and the last one was no, you probably need to forgive them. Maybe the person you need to forgive is in your past not someone that you think often. Dave said last week that time does not heal all wounds. And guys, the same is true for forgiveness. If you don't forgive someone, the passage of time and the fact you didn't burn down their house doesn't mean you forgave them. You've got to deal with it. You have to forgive. Choosing not to forgive 
is kind of like a hot iron. I found one of those in my suitcase a few years ago. For everyone's sake, I didn't plug it in. <clears throat> you know, someone might hurt us. It hurts, it burns. <clears throat> but if we choose to hold on to that, and I'm not talking about by the handle, I'm talking about by this. If we choose to hold on to that, it's not hurting them. It's hurting us. And guys, if we keep holding on to it, eventually all the nerve endings get damaged. We don't feel it burning, but it's still there. It's still being. It puts us into that numb place that Dave spoke about where there's no joy, just hurt. And if we keep holding on to that thing, the wound will never heal. If it's actively burning, it's not going to heal. Earlier in the series, Mark spoke about how Jesus had been pointing us in the, to this for some time. How Joe Morris had given Mark a book a few years ago. He started reading Spiritual Warfare. Dave Powers introduced us to Soul Care and Rob Reimer. And I was thinking about this and I remembered the John Eldridge conference that uh, Kim and I and some others had attended three or four years ago. And I was thinking about it. It was called the Ransomed Heart Conference. And, and a good bit of that was about soul care principles that we're talking about. And it made me think of something. You know, I went to that conference thinking that I was good and I was just going for information. I don't need this. I'm just going to get educated. But little did I know that I was going to get some healing as well. And I'm glad I did. After one of the sessions, I was talking to God about forgiveness, basically telling him, I don't have anyone to forgive. And then I kind of paused and I was like, do I? And that was enough of an invitation. He pulled out a few irons, people that I hadn't forgiven, irons that I'd been holding on to for so long and had burned so deep and were buried so far into the suitcase of my soul that I, I didn't feel the pain. I didn't even think about them, but they were still there. They had made their way to those hidden compartments where I just didn't see them anymore. One of them was my best friend in grade school. I hadn't thought about him in years, but Jesus told me I hadn't forgiven him, and I needed to. Has anyone ever seen those uh, Pepto-Bismol commercials, the ones where they're like dancing, they do different hand motions? You know, nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, and that last one. <coughs> so yeah, my friend was at my house, and I had a sudden onset of sickness. One of those just, ooh, catch you off guard. I ran to the restroom. I didn't make it. So my mom sent my friend home, but he didn't go with ease. Well, I don't understand. Why do I need to go home, Mrs. Smith? No, 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 no. So my mom explained to him what had happened and told him I'd see him when I was better. So I was out of school for a few days, and when I returned, my best friend was no longer my friend at all. He didn't be friends with me. He had told everyone at school what had happened. Everyone that I considered a friend at school wouldn't talk to me. They all made fun of me. Anyone that would associate with me was pretty quickly told the story. And I was really hopeful that it would pass. 
that people would forget about it. I denied that it ever happened, hoping they believed me instead of him, but it didn't stop. And it went on for several years. It wasn't until junior high that finally it was either no funny or something tragic had happened to somebody else and they became the focus of attention or, or whatever, but people finally forgot. But I was so angry with him. And, and sad, too. I'd lost a friend, somebody I really cared about. But I hadn't forgotten him. I held on to that iron, burned away the feeling, and I tucked it away in the suitcase so deep that I didn't see it. I was in that numb place. I was just numb to it. But guess what? Just because I didn't see it didn't mean I was there, that it wasn't there. The weight of it was still there. The burning of it was still there. It was weighing me down, and I didn't even know it. It had just become normal. But when Jesus pointed it out to me and said, you need to forgive him, I agreed with him. And I said, yeah, you're right, Lord. I don't want to carry this anymore. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to forgive my friend. And I don't, I'm not sure why I was amazed, but on, honestly, at the time, I was amazed at the weight that was lifted. You know, I don't, I've only been holding that for a few minutes here, but I know now that I've set it down. It felt so good to get that thing out of my suitcase. I didn't know it was there. I didn't know it was weighing me down. Once I acknowledged that, I was so glad to be free of it. And guys, honestly, when I first forgave him, I didn't feel anything. I wasn't even sure that I needed to, but I trusted the Lord. He told me I needed to, so I... And it took a little time, but... After I put that thing down, I could start to feel the pain of it again. But then Jesus brought healing to it. Because, guys, until we put that thing down, it's not going to heal. So I had to feel a little pain, but then I got healing. He was able to bring healing to the wound. Jesus was able to bring healing to the wound. But we've got to put it down. We still haven't spoken since then. I don't know where he is, what's he's, what he's doing. He didn't apologize, and he probably never will. But remember, forgives one way. The other person doesn't have to know, doesn't have to apologize. They don't have to do anything, because forgiveness is about us and the Lord. Forgiveness was about me giving that to Jesus and allowing him to heal me. So why should we forgive? Well, for one, it, it unpacks our suitcase. I had this thing rattling around in there for so long. And all I had to do was give it to him. And I got freedom. It brings freedom to our souls. It allows wounds to be healed. It takes away that heavy weight that we carry around. And it allows us to operate as people in a place of wholeness. We also forgive because... If we don't, it gives the enemy a foothold. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That word for foothold is tapas. It's where we get the word topography from. And it means inhabited place. And its secondary meaning is also power. It gives the enemy place and power. 
when someone offends or hurts us, it makes us angry, and it's okay to be angry. Sometimes it gets you. It's okay. But we're to be angry and sin not. We're to be angry and not hold on to it. When someone hurts me, yeah, it makes me angry. But it's what I choose to do next that matters. Will I give the enemy a place? Will I allow anger to control me? Will I turn this thing around and start hurting other people too? Will I hold on to it? Let it numb me again? And burn me? It's just hurting you. Or will I give it to the Lord? We can be angry, but it's what we do with it. That's, that's, that's what matters. We forgive so that the enemy has no place. We forgive so that our joy is not stolen. It steals our joy. We forgive so that we can be healed. Guys, we give because we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We are to be kind and tender-hearted. Jesus knows that choosing not to forgive brings bitterness and pain and a hard heart. And guys, we need to keep tender hearts. We have to guard that. I want to take a look at a story about forgiveness in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21 through 27. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment was to be as repayment was made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. Now, guys, the debt that this servant owed was more than he could repay in a lifetime. I know he had pleaded for for that, just give me time, I'll repay, but the, the reality was he couldn't. There was no way he could have repaid that. But he asked the master for forgiveness, and the master showed him mercy and forgave him. So then what does he choose to do with this forgiveness and freedom? Matthew 18, 28 through 31 says this. But the slave went out and found one of his old slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should repay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came ported to their Lord all that had happened. Guys, he was just forgiven a debt that he could never repay. But had his fellow servant thrown in jail a debt that he could have repaid over time. 
It might have taken him four, five, six, seven years. Who knows? But he could have repaid it. The fellow servant used the same word he had just used asking for forgiveness from the master. But instead of forgiveness and mercy, he had him thrown in prison. Let's keep reading Matthew 18, 32 through 34. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. He was handed over to the torturers. I wish this was the end of the chapter, but it's not. There's one more verse in Matthew 18. Matthew 18:35. And Jesus said, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Wow. Guys, I know that may be harsh, but that's what Jesus told them. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that if we forgive, we will be forgiven, and if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. Now, guys, this isn't a matter of salvation. It's not saying that if we don't forgive others, we lose our salvation. If that were the case, then our salvation would be based on works, on what we do. And it's not. It's about what he did. I believe that he will be turned over to the torture speaks of a pattern and tactic used by the enemy. When we're hurt, we have a choice. We can turn to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to our Comforter, and forgive, and we can put down that iron and ask Jesus to heal us, which he is faithful to do. We can seek comfort in him, or we can seek comfort elsewhere. We talked about this in regard to grieving loss. When we choose not to forgive, we remain wounded, but we still seek comfort. When we choose to hold on to anger and not to forgive, we seek comfort elsewhere. We're not in agreement with Jesus. And the enemy uses that foothold. And he steers us toward anything but Jesus for that comfort. Drugs, sex, porn, exercise, to excess, eating, anything but Jesus. He points us in that direction. He tempts us with that. And then as soon as we choose to do one of those things to find comfort, the enemy throws it in our face. He condemns us. He beats us down. He says, look what you did. You're a terrible person. Look at your sinful nature. You call yourself a Christian. And then wash, rinse, and repeat. We seek comfort. We indulge in sin. We get beat down by the enemy. We seek comfort. We indulge in sin. We get beat down by the enemy. That sounds a lot like torture, doesn't it? It does to me. Why would Jesus allow this? Notice I say allow. He didn't cause this to happen. He told us to forgive and be comforted and allow Him to heal us. We choose to forgive or not to forgive. He doesn't force our hand. Guys, it may seem extreme. Jesus' disciples, those that He loves and friends, make no mistake, His motivation is love. Jesus knows how destructive anger and holding onto grudges can be. He knows how heavy it is when we carry that junk around our soul, so much so that he will allow some pain into our lives to help us to change. But the motivation is love. It really is. 
no different than when we discipline our children. We're not disciplining them to, to be mean to them. We discipline them out of love. And the good news is we can change. We can choose to forgive. We can remove that foothold. We can relieve the enemy of any place or power that we may have given him and allow Jesus to comfort and heal us and to move that stuff from our soul. But Andrew, you say, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what you're asking me to forgive. You make it sound so easy. Just choose. Just choose to forgive. I know that I'm saying just choose, and I know that it is hard. I do know that. So how to forgive in practice, in the real world, in our daily lives? How do we make this choice? I've been asked that question, and I've, I've had to think about it, because it is hard. I know I speak of it like it's some easy thing, but I recognize that it's hard. So how do we forgive? A good place to start is to get to Jesus. Pray through it. Talk to him about it. If you seek him in it, he'll help you. He will. Talk about it. Give it to him. Let him help you. And when you do that, there's a good chance that he might ask you to bless those that are hurting you. It's all throughout it. And Dave touched on it last week. He said that blessing is the gateway to forgiveness. Matthew 5:43 and 44 says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12:14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Luke 6:27 through 29 says, but if I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Those are just a few verses. There's lots of others. But we are told to bless those who curse us. It may sound counterintuitive, but as Dave said, just keep doing it. We may not even mean it at first. We may say it begrudgingly, but if we keep doing it, eventually we will mean it. If we are obedient to do what God has asked us to do, He will do something that we often cannot do, and that is change our heart. He can change our heart. I know it's hard, but blessing is, is, is a gateway to forgiveness. Another thing we can do <clears throat> is take inventory. Jesus doesn't take inventory of our sins, but we can. Not for the purpose of beating ourselves up, but as a reminder of all we've been forgiven. Write them if you have to. If we see ourselves more like the person that has offended us than different from them, it'll soften our heart. I think if the servant in Matthew 18 had taken a moment to do this, he would not have sent his fellow servant to prison and ultimately found himself there had he acknowledged that he was forgiven a debt that he could never repay, had he heard himself in the words of, of his fellow servant, if he had just latched on to the fact that I just said those very words to the master. If we remember how much we've been forgiven, it, it brings perspective. And it softens our heart. Another thing that we can do that will help us in forgiving is um, forgive to the level of offense. 
This is something that uh, Rob Reimer talks about in the Soul Care book. And I think this is really big, and it's absolutely needed, um, especially in the context of, of reconciliation. He says that a five-gallon fence requires five gallons of forgiveness. It's pretty easy to forgive little things. Someone was unthoughtful, said something rude or mean, and, you know, that dealt, oh, it's okay, it's fine, which we need to get away from, but those ones, the ones that it's pretty easy just to say, oh, okay, no problem, it's fine. You know, maybe it's a cup full of offense, and it requires a cup full of forgiveness. But if it's re- really much larger, if it's a really big offense, if it's a five-gallon offense, it takes a little more to address. If you're the offending party, you need to own it, and you need to give a five-gallon apology. And if you're on the end that needs to forgive, it needs to be five gallons worth of forgiveness. If you give a cup of apology or a cup of forgiveness for a five-gallon offense, it's going to keep coming back up. It's not resolved. The offended party will still have a cup short of five gallons in their suitcase, and it's going to slosh around there, and it's going to keep in a mess until it's all gone. And sometimes that bucket does get emptied a cup at a time. But until it's all out of there, it's going to keep coming back. So if you think that you've forgiven someone, but it keeps coming back, you might have some offense in that bucket. You know, I talked earlier about how I had let go of some offense and gotten some healing and cleaned this hot, nasty thing out of my suitcase, but there's still more. I'm still working through it. I've got offenses that I'm emptying a cup at a time. I'm sure we all do, but it's important to acknowledge that and keep bailing that stuff out until it's all gone. Byron, if you could come up. It may still be sloshing around in your suitcase. If you ask Jesus, he'll tell you. He'll help you figure it out. Sort it out and forgive fully as he fully forgives us. These are a few ways to help us make the choice to forgive. But the bottom line is, it is a choice. We must forgive if we want healing and We can't fool ourselves into thinking the passage of time is going to unpack our suitcase. We have to go digging in there. We have to seek the Lord and we have to go digging and we have to find all that stuff and keep working with Jesus until it's all gone. Until it's completely empty. Hidden compartments and all. And it's not a one and done either. If we want to stay free, we have to keep doing it. Because we take another trip, and what do we do? We load it back up. Hopefully with good stuff, but not always. So it's a continual thing. This isn't, this isn't like a formulaic thing where we do all these things and then now we're free. We've got to keep doing it. Guys, him in our soul in its simplest form is constant submission to God. Constant. We have to bring this stuff to him and we have to work through it.
We have to know who we are in Jesus. We have to repent. We have to know and effectively combat our enemies. We have to grieve our losses and we have to forgive. That's what we've gone through so far. And there's more. But we have to continually do that. Continually submit those things to the Lord. 